Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Don, and the man. <laughs> Hello. That's right. This is the Album Nerds Podcast. I'm the man. Uh, I got Andy and Don with me. Dude is no longer with the show. I've replaced him. And it's going to be <laughs> exactly the same. Wow. How you guys doing? Andy, what's up? I don't know if I'm comfortable with this the man situation. Here. I, <laughs> I know the rest of the band didn't sign off on this transition. Here. <laughs> Been saving that. <laughs> the man. Don, what's up? How you doing? Hello, man. It's the man. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> is it T-H-A or T-H-E? Actually, it's D-A. The man. You the man. The man. All right, so we got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about three albums. We're going to be answering a question and, of course, spinning the wheel of musical destiny at the end of this episode to find out what we'll talk about on the next show. But this week, we're talking about new lead singers. That's what I'm talking about! Band lineups often change, and it's particularly conspicuous when a band changes their lead singer. So today, each of us will present an album from a band who will replace their established lead singer. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting situation. You can replace guitarists and drummers, and it makes an impact, depending on the band, but uh, the singer is a huge impact. But most of the time, it's like a legacy act that wants to continue touring 40 years later, and they get some younger guy to sing. It's not impactful on the albums. And that's what we kind of wanted to get to today, was when it changes the trajectory of their recording career, not just a guy at a state fair singing Journey songs, you know? No offense, <laughs> Arnell, you're a great singer. But uh, yeah, so I, I dug in a little bit. I'm sure you guys did too. How'd you do? What'd you find? Yeah, there was uh, quite quite a bit. Like you said, a lot of metal seems to be a popular phenomenon. Uh, I mentioned a couple things that piqued my interest. Uh, I think you guys turned me on to this Black Sabbath record with, with Dio as a lead singer. Yeah, Heaven and Hell. Heaven and Hell. Yeah, I don't know how I've been sleeping on that. I really enjoyed that quite a bit. Yeah, Dio, man, he puts Ozzy to shame for my for my money. <laughs> Um, anyway, the other one I was considering was uh, from Black Flag. They you know, had a bunch of good records in the mid-80s there. Uh, I guess Henry Rollins was not their original vocalist. They had a couple guys before they really broke through with, with him. I was hoping for that one, man. I was hoping you'd do that one. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure there's more shows to come. How about you, Don? Well, I don't know if you guys have heard of a band called Pink Floyd. So there not are a few uh... episodes <laughs> now, actually. <laughs> Uh, their first uh, front man was Sid Barrett, but you know because of his erratic behavior and mental health, they uh, uh, basically sacked him. Uh, and for uh, a couple albums, the vocals were actually shared by um, Richard Wright, David Gilmour, and, and Roger Waters. Before you know, Gilmour and Waters, you know, really kind of took over the the vocals for the band. Also, uh, it's not a great album, but one of the the first examples I think of is uh, the band Survivor. You know, the guys who sing "Eye of the Tiger." Of course, so not long after "Eye of the." The Tiger was a big hit. That singer, Dave Bickler, uh, had to leave the band because of like vocal issues. And so he was replaced by Jimmy Jameson. And so that that album, Vital Signs, which had some hits. And then I think they did a song for like Rocky IV. That, that, that's yep. that guy. And uh, Deep Purple actually has had you know multiple singers. But Dave Coverdale replaced uh, Ian Gillen uh, on the album Burn, which is uh, actually a, a really good record. Yeah, I, I, I checked that one out too. Don't forget Glenn Hughes who also did vocals on those phase two or three or mm -hmm. whatever it was albums. It wasn't Coverdale did most of it, but Glenn Hughes, who's the bass player, he did some as well. Uh, yeah, for me, it was Blind Melon. Oh, yeah. 
for my friends, they they replaced Shannon Hoon. He died in the 90s. Eventually, they came back. It was one of those. It's kind of more like what I was talking about at the beginning, but the record they put out was really good. Um, it was, I think, more so they wanted to tour again and play their songs again, but uh, I liked it, and we talked about it way back on the show. Journey. I really thought about going with Journey Escape. Steve Perry was not the first vocalist. There was a different guy on the first two records, and there have been several replacements for Steve <laughs> Perry. So I think it get people don't necessarily know he wasn't the first guy. So yeah, there's a lot going on in that space. Why don't we find out what we picked? You choo-choo choose me? You know that Norway has the lowest murder rate in the whole world? The lowest in the world? Oh my god, that's lame. <laughs> this place is lame. <laughs> Alright, here for my new lead singer selection here, we're talking about Norwegian metal band Kevlar Tech and their 2020 album Splid. They went through a, a big lead singer switch here with this record. Uh, why don't we play a little bit of their old sounds? with their old lead singer, who is named... And I apologize for all my, my Norwegian exp, uh, pronunciations. Norwegian? <laughs> <laughs> Norwegian. <laughs> Norwegian. It sounds like an allergy when you say Norwegian. Yeah, Andy... This is what this is what you get for having a broad palate and a broad taste. This is this is your punishment. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately I don't have the vocabulary or the uh lexicon here to uh, really back it up. So I'm gonna play a little bit from the old lineup featuring vocalist Erland Havlik. This is a little bit of the track Blood Torst. That guy sings in perfect Norwegian. <laughs> you appreciate his Norwegian pronunciation. <laughs> so yeah, they had, they were around for about about ten years or so prior to the switch up here. Um, pretty well established, you know, Norwegian metal group, um, fairly popular here in the U.S. And they switched up lead singers just from 2020 with this record. And we have Ivar Nicholson taking over vocal duties here. <laughs> And let's play a little bit from the lead single from this new record, Split. This is The Lost Body. So, not like a total 180 in terms of vocals, but it's in the same ballpark. But there are some differences, especially I think we'll hear as we play some more tracks on that record. All right, a little bit of background on the group. They are a six-piece from... Statsvigarner, Norway. <laughs> <laughs> My three words to describe this record are Viking Guitar Stampede. I feel like this record just kind of bludgeons you over the head <laughs> with just this onslaught of mostly guitars, but also the vocal is, is pretty prominent in the mix here. I really enjoyed this record a lot, though, more, more so than the previous material, um, because it's much more melodic and kind of tighter, a little more riff heavy, and I think it makes their sound a little bit more accessible and maybe a little bit more polished than, than it has been in the past, which, uh, you know, within reason, I think, is a, is a nice step for them. Why don't we play another cut with a new lead singer? This is Delirium Tremens. 
Casa Nova yeah. going on there. <laughs> so yeah, that's one of the, the quieter parts of, uh, of the, the record. Delirium tremens, actually, it's a condition. Uh, basically, it's like severe alcohol withdrawal. Oh. I, I was drawn to, to that song. It kind of has like a post-punk sound or i hear sort of elements of like rem uh, in there but i you know i guess that's that's what i i, I like the first person ever to uh, compare rem yeah. in this group i would imagine <laughs> it comes from the same the same place but uh <laughs> yeah so you know i guess what i i like about this this record is um there are you know a lot of sounds going on uh so I, my three words were magical metal exploration you know there are a, a lot of heavy moments there's just a pulse throughout the album so you know even when it does quiet down or get a bit more melodic it doesn't lose that energy um which which i i really appreciate i guess what i'm drawn to the most is um just the sort of like the longer instrumental sections you know i can really kind of get lost in that you know so you know, I, I think the moments where i was you know really appreciating the record or when you know you have sort of like this this long instrumental section and when they start going in different melodic places i mean there is screaming on on the record but it you know but it's not constant you know so i, I think it was like the the right balance there <laughs> um, what do you think about the foreign language would this be better or worse for you if it were all English. I suppose being in a foreign language is a bit of a barrier, you know, so it's maybe harder to, to connect with the, the subject matter. But then, you know, on the other hand, maybe it adds a little mystery to it. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, listening back to some of the older records, Andy is correct for sure in that somehow, I don't know if it was the new singer or just a new lease on life and the band and different energy but it, it is more melodic it's got pop rock elements in it and it's definitely uh even though the singers sound similar in the when they're screaming i wouldn't necessarily be able to tell the difference but the music itself sounds a lot different yeah, I think this is probably a case where changing the vocalist isn't as big of a deal. Um, like for me, it's the, you know, I think like those three guitars, I, I feel like that sound is more what the band is is about. And, you know, maybe the vocals aren't quite as uh, important. Yeah, I would agree with you, Don. I think they're really about that kind of guitar onslaught sound. But they do get to some interesting places on those instrumental tracks that you mentioned. Uh, and they let a couple of them really, really breathe for a while. And it, it does go some pre pretty cool places. Yeah, there's some nice little guest spots on this record as well. Troy Sanders from Mastodon has a, a guest spot on the second track. And uh, Nate Newsom from Converge makes a feature on the track we're gonna play here called Discord. Now, I uh, read somewhere a description of the genre for this as blackened punk, hmm. which I think is an interesting description. Like black metal and punk combined? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I hear it. So the three words I used to describe the album are blackened punk foos. Because I do, I do hear some foo fighters in here. Oh. Um, <laughs> I thought you were doing like foosball. They really like pity the foos. <laughs> but, you know, that Dream Widow project that the Foo Fighters did last year. Yeah. Dream Widow. <laughs> Dream Widow. <laughs> A lot of it sounds like this. And so I think if you cranked up 
the Foo Fighters. I think there's some similarities. There's some shared DNA here musically. There are moments, plenty of moments on this record that I heard grooves that reminded me of some of the stuff the Foo Fighters do. And, uh, you know, Dave Grohl actually gave these guys their, he presented their gold record to them on their first album, oh, really? I think in 2011. So, <laughs> connection. It is interesting how the the Scandinavians have you know really embraced metal and kind of taken it over. So yeah, I mean, uh, uh, what a difference ninety episodes will make because on episode one hundred six when we talked about this album before, Andy. Oh my God! Did we really? <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't even consider that. Now, in those days, we were doing 26 minutes or, or so <laughs> per show and covering six albums. So we didn't really get to the meat and potatoes. So no harm done. I just wanted to burn you with that one. Dude, you should have said something, man. I, I, I wouldn't affect that. Oh, I was holding it, man. <laughs> you saved it. <laughs> but what I said then was that the foreign language thing was too much of a barrier, and I just couldn't get into it, even though I, I appreciated it. But that has changed Interesting. over time, and I really do enjoy this record. And it's a good record. Their new single's really good, so hopefully they'll be putting out a record this year. Yeah, it's supposed to be one new one this year. I'm pretty excited to see what direction they go in. I believe they still have the same lineup as they did in this 2020 record. I'll just mention this record is produced by Kurt Ballou from Converge, who I know we've talked about a few times on the show. Love the sound that he is usually involved with. Yeah, so once again, the album is entitled Splid, which translates to Discord, by the way, uh, by Kevlar Tech. Came out back in 2020. Really uh, interesting Norwegian metal record with a new lead singer. Albumnerds.com slash split. I like it. <laughs> Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. The man here doing what we do <laughs> and asking ourselves a question. <laughs> So in the spirit of replacement lead singers, who are some of your other favorite replacements in pop culture, movies, TV, etc.? Let's share. Let's discuss. Have a little discord. Uh, <laughs> let's have a little split. <laughs> okay. Uh, first couple ones that came to mind, James Bond. It's been replaced a lot over the years. I feel like... For my money, the leap from Pierce Brosnan to Daniel Craig was the biggest jump forward for the franchise. Not, nothing against Pierce Brosnan. I enjoy one of his movies, but then I want to mention that I admit I looked up, but I never thought of them as being replacements for each other. But you guys are familiar with Cheers, obviously. Yep. Making a way in the world today takes everything. That's right. Got. Keep talking. Right. <laughs> the Woody Harrelson character. So the original actor, Nicholas Calasanto. The older gentleman who played the uh, the backup barkeep there to Sam. Coach. Coach, yeah, Coach, yeah exactly. Uh, he was replaced by uh, Woody Harrelson, I guess. That character is a one-to-one -one replacement. I never really considered them to be the same thing, but I guess they were. Well, yeah, I mean, Woody was a guy from the Midwest or that was a, trying to be an actor. Coach had been Sam's pitching coach mm. for the Red Sox. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was a different relationship, but it was still the gullible foil yeah. to the rest of the, exactly. of the characters. Exactly, yeah. Not the same character, but the same role. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I just watched that episode the other day where Woody shows up. The joke was that he and Coach were pen pals. But it, oh, right. But they, they just exchanged pens. They didn't. Know each other. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> What about you, Don? 
Well, one of the um, successful ones I, I thought of was um, was John Stewart uh, replacing Craig Kilborn on mm. The Daily Show. I mean, I feel like with Craig Kilborn, The Daily Show was just kind of whatever. Um, but I feel like with John Stewart, it became like a big part of of pop culture and um, yeah. you know, just a huge force in in politics. Yeah, I, I think people don't remember Craig Kilborn doing yeah. it. I do. Yeah. I remember it, but it wasn't. It was maybe one season. I'm not sure. Yeah, and it was kind of a different vibe. It wasn't quite as political. It was more snarky. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And of course, I thought about Lou Gehrig replacing Wally Pip. Uh, <laughs> I'm way better. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, another sitcom reference: Lionel, the the son on the Jeffersons. Right. They they yes. replaced him somewhere in the middle, and then I think the original actor came back uh, at he the did. end. And I, I did like <laughs> the original Lionel the best. Well, yeah, because the original Lionel was the Lionel that made appearances yep. on All in the Family um, as the neighbor to the bunkers. Wow. People are like, "What the hell are these guys talking about? These are old TV shows. They're great. Go check them out." Uh, yeah, so for me, Shane Falco replaced Eddie Martell oh, yeah. on the Washington Sentinels in the movie The Replacements about <laughs> football players being on strike wow. and then replacement players That's came so in. That's so meta, man. Replacements in the replacements. Shane Falco played by Neo, uh, Keanu Reeves. I think that's my favorite Keanu movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wa- I've watched it more times than I like to admit. Wow, I've never seen that. I'm going to have to check it out. It's your favorite Keanu. Holy cow. <laughs> So Sherry Shepard replaced Sharon Wilkins as Angie Jordan on 30 Rock. Oh, yeah. One episode of 30 Rock, they introduced Tracy Jordan's wife, and it was this lady. I don't even think she said a word. She just made a face. And then the next time she shows up, it was uh, Sherry Shepard who did an awesome job and played that part mm-hmm. like of, of the celebrity wife that becomes a celebrity and has her own reality show mm-hmm. and all that stuff. It was she, she uh, did really well with that. And, of course, we've got other musicians. Dave Grohl, Ringo Starr, Ronnie Wood, Lindsey Buckingham all replaced people in bands and went on to uh, enhance those bands and make things better. So a lot, of, a lot of good stuff out there. What about y'all? Who are some of your other favorite replacements in pop culture? Let us know. Albumnerds.com slash Discord. What a cute little pink bunny rabbit. Bunny, bunny rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my pick for a, a band that switched lead singers is Echo and the Bunnymen. Let's listen to what they sounded like with their established lead singer, Ian McCulloch. Uh, this is a track called The, the Killing Moon. Up against your will Through the thick and thin yeah, so Ian McCulloch is uh, sort of a dynamic, charismatic, and dramatic frontman for Echo and the Bunnymen. Very much uh, an integral part of their sound. But in 1988, uh, he left the, the band, and they, they got a guy named uh, Noel Burke, who uh, was in a band called St. Vitus Dance. Uh, let's hear a song called Cut and Dry. Yeah, so that um, so the album uh, is called Reverberation. It was released in in 1990. It's the sixth studio album from Echo and the Bunnymen. Uh, their original lineup uh, was Ian McCulloch on, on vocals, uh, guitarist Will Sargent, bassist Les Pattinson, uh, and the legend was that they had a drum machine who they called Echo. But the the band has refuted that since then. I heard that back in the day too. Yeah, but they they did have a, a, a drummer who who joined before their first album, uh, Pete DeFridis. 
But McCulloch left the band in, in 1988. DeFridis uh, died in a motorcycle accident, uh, and the band uh, hired the, the new lead singer, Noel Burke, a, a new drummer, Damon Reese, and they officially added their longtime keyboardist, Jake Brockman. So the, the, the words I, I chose are, by any other name. So uh, I, I think this is, uh, you know, a really solid or, or very good album, but I, I think just because McCulloch was such an important part of uh, of the band you know i i just i think the the fans weren't open to it you know the critics weren't weren't into it and yeah i, I think it's uh unfortunate that this um you know that this album was basically forgotten the band ended up losing their record deal <laughs> after this <laughs> oh my gosh uh, yeah Jeez. Yeah, but they did the the original lineup to get back together, and they have recorded several albums right. since then. Some version of what you said for your words is what I was going to go with because I I completely agree. Now I I was not familiar with their music really. I'd heard of them in high school, and I expected them to sound kind of weird. And the older records do yeah. sound kind of weird, and this one is kind of right down the middle. And uh, but it sounds like a different band, and it should have been a different band. It's fine, it just shouldn't have. Yeah, maybe change the, the same. Name. Name. Yeah. 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 Well, let's hear another uh, clip from Reverberation. This is a song called Enlighten Me. Yeah, I really like the lyrics. I think, uh, I don't know who wrote the lyrics, if the new guy was in, involved in I that. I think it was him. Mostly, yeah. But I really like the little fine details, like this splinter in your splendor, and 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 things like that. I, I throughout the album, there were clever little turns of lyric. The three words I used to describe this album: Don's British Buffet. Indeed, delicious. I mean, it has a little bit. Uh, it has elements of everything Don loves. Like there, there's the Smiths. I hear the Smiths mm-hmm. a little bit in. Uh, Gone, gone, gone. King of Your Castle has some Duran Duran elements to it. False Goodbyes has The Cure. I mean, there are (laughs) vocals and guitar work and stuff. It all like just sounds like all the good stuff from that period Mm -hmm. wrapped into to one not necessarily done as well but there's call outs to those those yeah. styles you can even throw in the beatles and pink floyd i think well yeah that's what i was going to get to the beatles the the track enlighten me i learned to love now let's i learned to like <laughs> mostly because of those lyrics it just was tomorrow never knows and within you without you by the beatles are called upon very heavily. It intros with some sitar, and then even the cadence is like Tomorrow Never Knows. It's like a psychedelic British REM <laughs> at times as well. There's REM again. So it was, the, it was the call out to the Beatles that at first I was like, oh, come on, lazy. But the more I listened to it, the more I started to kind of enjoy how they did it and what they did with it. So, uh, yeah, they did some interesting stuff. I don't know enough about Echo and the Bunny Men, but this is good. And it's a shame they didn't get more, uh, more of a chance. Uh, speaking of the Beatles, the producer of the album is Jeff Emmerich, who, if you ever looked at your uh, album sleeve, uh, Jeff Emmerich was the engineer on Revolver and I, I think a lot of the the late uh, career Beatles albums. Uh, he also did that Zombies album that we uh, uh, talked about, Odyssey and Oracle. But uh, these are pretty simple, like pop rock songs, but they're you know they add that those Eastern instruments and they throw in some like some of that reverse guitar. 
like you said, from Tomorrow Never Knows. And then, yeah, so they, they you take these simple songs and make them a, a bit more psychedelic. Let's hear uh, the opening cut. This is Gone, Gone, Gone. Morrissey much? <laughs> I didn't hear all the Donisms in there initially, but now that you're pointing them out, dude, or man, I, uh, I, I hear what you're saying now for sure. My three words to describe this record are, my head is like, whoa. Uh, okay. <laughs> whoa. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I guess this album made me appreciate kind of the benefit of naivete or like when you don't know all the background of a, of a record. So vaguely familiar with their 80s output, but not enough that I felt like I had a strong idea of what this should sound like. I was blown away when I read the critic reviews of this that this was so negatively received. Like, it's a really excellent, just, you know, like indie rock post-rock sort of sound here. Like, I really think it's top-notch. I agree, but the lyrics are just fantastic. And I was shocked at how well they played together, the, particularly the vocals and the rest of the band. Like, they sound like they're right, right in sync. Like, on every every track, they're just so perfectly aligned with each other that I would have thought they'd played together for a long time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I was impressed. They should have pulled a Heaven and Hell, like, you yeah. know, the Black Sabbath lineup that made that album, Heaven and Hell, started touring as Heaven and Hell later on. That way it wasn't, they weren't saying they were Black Sabbath, but it was that lineup and, and these guys should have done more. It was, it was really good. Yeah. Reverberation would have been a, a good band name. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, Don, wh- I was just going to ask you, what would your perfect band name be for these guys? Oh, and I think you already answered it. <laughs> Yeah, and the the album's, you know, really hooky. Like every song, you know, just has some little chorus or refrain that, you know, that that sticks with you. Um so it's, you know, it's really it's really solid songwriting. So as far as the success of the move, like just from your perspective, is this a a win of a Echo and the Bunny Men album or are you because you're an old fan is that is there that separation? Yeah, that's that's a that's a complicated question. Uh I love this album. Okay, and maybe it's just because I was a certain age when this ca- album came out. So, uh, if you ask me, like my favorite Echo and the Bunnymen album, I mean, this could be one of them. Uh, although that would be blasphemy for for a lot of people. <laughs> but I mean, it's just it's a great record. But it, it's it almost you know belongs sort of outside of the discography. You know, it's not really fair to include it. Yeah, it is like a different band. Although there are, I mean, there are elements of it that sound very much like an Echo and the Bunnymen record. You know, it's the the same guitar and it's complicated. Um, by the way, so I, you know, I did mention that the original lineup did get back together and they've been making records. Uh, and you can hear Noel Burke if you, if you like them in a band called St. Uh, Vitus Dance. They've, they've recorded, I think, two albums since then. Um, and it sounds uh, a lot like this. Okay, so that from uh, from 1990, that was Echo and the Bunnymen with Reverberation. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. If you're enjoying the show, and we hope you are, do us a solid and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Maybe we made you laugh, I was going to say, or cry, um, or you discovered an <laughs> album you enjoy. Leaving a review keeps the show going and helps other music fans find us. God damn it, baby, no, I ain't lying to you. I'm only going to tell you Speaking of crying, good stuff. 
<laughs> All right. So I had to... I had to pick one of the obvious ones. I mean, we've talked about ACDC before, and that's a famous, successful transition to a new singer. Uh, and one of the other really big examples of that is Van Halen. I thought you were going to say Chicago. That too. <laughs> they were never the same without Peter Cetera. Yeah, so Van Halen replacing David Lee Roth with Sammy Hagar. Why don't we listen to a little bit of what David Lee Roth was getting himself into around the time that this album, uh, Van Halen's 5150, came out. This was from Crazy from the Heat. That was David Lee Roth's first EP. It's a little taste of what he wanted to do, his independence. I ain't got nobody. (laughs) So weird, dude. I mean, you <laughs> you leave a rock band because you don't like, you know, part of it was the creative direction with the, the synths and keyboard stuff, like from the song Jump that was on their landmark album 1984. So they had this huge success and it's got the keyboard sounds and they were fighting about the sound and who is in control and DLR didn't like that. He wanted to be a rock band, but then when he goes and does an EP, he does a bunch of covers and skibbity-bibbity <laughs> type stuff. <laughs> So then in comes Mr. Sammy Hagar. Sammy. Sammy. I like it. He had been a lead singer of the band Montrose in the 1970s, went on to have solo success, uh, particularly the song I Can't Drive 55, uh, referred to as the Red Rocker. (laughs) Always makes me uncomfortable, but I think it's because he wore like red jumpsuits and and things like that. So they 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 found uh, Kindred Spirit and recorded this album 5150. Let's listen to a little bit of Dreams. So this was the seventh studio album by Van Halen, released in 1986. Of course, the first without David Lee Roth. And uh, they did it. The three words I used to describe this album are double Christmas presents. <laughs> you know, like when uh, you're a kid, and when I was a kid, children of divorce would say how great it was because they'd get <laughs> double Christmas presents. And this this divorce, for the fans of Van Halen, they got David Lee Roth EPs and records. They got Van Halen records that were solid and had, you know, very Van Halen-y songs. And then some of the newer stuff with Sammy that had a different flavor, like that song, Dreams, which kind of goes in the new direction that Van Halen had wanted to go in. But they did some of the familiar stuff, too. So the fans really won here. And Van Halen was successful with this lineup big selling album. Uh, It was a great move. I think finding a veteran with his own built-in audience, with comfort, with some lyrical chops in terms of just a different flavor than what uh, David Lee Roth was bringing. Uh, I'd say it was a, a big success. I mean... This was more poppy, but a very enjoyable listen. So why don't we uh, jump into another track, leaning more toward that classic Van Halen sound. This is Get Up. Alex Van Halen's drumming is pretty uh, integral to some of, of that sound. Yeah, that's track. I mean, I guess that kind of... Lays out how I feel about the synth sound in their <laughs> in their album here. My three words to describe this record are Sammy Hagar. How about some more guitar? Wow. 
I saw it. I saw it typed out. And I'm like, there's got to be a cadence to this. I'm not seeing because it looked like a mess on paper. Nice work. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of synth going on here, which I just can't. I can't get behind that on that on their sound. They just don't. There's no edge to it at all. And on those tracks for me, just to, I mean, it's catchy and memorable, but it's just overly simplistic and just so laden with hooks and kind of cringy lyrics. <laughs> I have a hard time with that. But I think when they, when they let the guitars, you know, take over, which is still probably like half the record here, I found that pretty compelling. And, you know, obviously great, uh, virtuoso guitar playing is, uh, doesn't get too old. So. Well, they get the they get a good guitar solos in all of the songs, synthy or not. They tend to open with the synthy stuff, and then build, and then they get to the solo, and and it's the Eddie Van Halen show again. Yeah, you got to fight your way through a lot of a lot of cheese to get to the to the meats. Well, it wouldn't be a good sandwich without cheese. <laughs> so, what are your what's your feeling on this transition in terms of failure, success? Yeah, yeah. So Sammy Hager's vocals are just huge. It's so freaking loud in the mix. <laughs> just like he's all over the place in terms of range, which is impressive. But it's a it's a huge change, I think. I mean, if I was a fan back in the in the eighties, I probably would be pretty have a hard time wrapping my head around this change in sound. But he's a good vocalist, and I wouldn't say he's not a good vocalist. He sounds good. It's just the whole package doesn't really work work that well for me. Yeah, I mean, like on that on that particular track on Get Up. That definitely would have been a David Lee Roth song. Yeah. But I think Sammy does an admirable job of, of having the gritty voice and close enough. At the, at the time, I sided with David Lee Roth, but coming back to this record now, I enjoyed what Sammy brought to the table a lot more than I did at the time. I got the impression they, was, they were a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Uh, on the earlier versions of the of the band, my totally off base here. And now I feel like this record is very serious, except for the the opening and closing cut. Like the first one is silly, and the last one, yeah, the the ones about getting girls and their grade A top choice and all that kind of stuff is very mm, cringe, David Lee Rothy. <laughs> but you know, but these guys are also. You know, Sammy Hager was 39 at the time of this album release. The other dudes were early 30s. So, you know, I think they did that stuff as fan service. I'm not sure that that's where their hearts were anymore. You know, my guess. Yeah, this didn't feel as like goofy and lighthearted, I guess, as their earlier records. I remember them being. Well, they have wives and kids and stuff now. So you, you, you do it because the fans expect it, but it didn't have the same yeah. zing. One Dude. break coming up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so why don't we uh, listen to another track? Here's a little bit of Why Can't This Be Love. So tell me why can't this be love? Straight from my heart. Hey, I gotta mention the one lyric in there. Only time will tell if we stand the test of time. <laughs> Uh, I think that people so make that fun of that, but, but I, I actually think it's kind of cool. I, I like that because I yeah. think it's deliberate. You know, it's. I had the same you know, thought. Like I'm listening to it and I'm singing along. I'm like, wait a second, that's lazy. But then I'm like, you know what? Funny. It works. Yeah, I actually I am in the same <laughs> camp. I was gonna make that point too. It it. How is that? It shouldn't, that but it, it works. It's like saying time like, is time. If Morrissey did it, it would be clever. <laughs> there you <we> go. <laughs> Okay, well, the, the three words I, I chose uh, for the album were 
of both worlds. Of course, the song is called uh, Best of, of Both Worlds. And I, I wouldn't say it's the, the best of both worlds, um, but there are two distinct Van Halens uh, on this album. So uh, as we mentioned, I, I think half the songs are, are basically classic Van Halen tracks that I think Roth could have easily uh, sung. And then the others are, you know, these kind of melodic, you know, pop hits. And I mean, they're all, you know, executed, uh, you know, quite well. One thing I, I'll say, you know, it's like a synth pop fan i i find it funny just how like when rock bands are are using synths it's always like that same sound like on my casio sk1 the, the preset was uh brass ensemble and it was that you know that jump sound, you know right um it seems like a lot of rock bands you know all use that same sound and um and you know to me like you know if you're just going to use those presets like I mean, why bother you? The, the point of a synthesizer is to create sounds, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so, I mean, I would just use like a Hammond organ or, or something, you know, if I'm not going to take advantage of the instrument. Well, at the time, it seemed pretty, at least to me, I wasn't as schooled in synths as you at the time. But when Jump came mm-hmm. out and that iconic, I was, I was like, whoa, like I thought he had invented it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's still unclear to me on that. Why can't this be love if that is like guitar fed through synth or if it's just a synthesizer that I think it's good. It feels it like feels guitar, like guitar me, but yeah. yeah. Um, somehow, I mean, this was a, a successful transition. I, I'm not completely sure why. I mean, maybe it's because of the power of those hits, you know, I mean, and they're also kind of catering to the to the Van Halen fans, you know, I mean, there are those those classic Van Halen tracks there. But, you know, I mean, Hagar, I I guess I have mixed feelings on him. I mean, he certainly brings a, a lot to the table. You know, he, he does seem to be kind of a, a, a clever lyricist and, um, you know, a good songwriter. Uh, he has vocal range that that Roth didn't have. But for some reason, you know, he just lacks the, the charisma. And I mean, he's not a character like David Lee Roth was. And, and I guess I've I always love that about classic Van Halen. You know, I just find David Lee Roth uh, uh, amusing. And so that's kind of missing here. But I'm guessing as a band, they didn't want that anymore. The ego that comes along with being that magnanimous of a front man is probably difficult to deal with. And Sammy could continue to do solo records too. And they recorded four albums together as Van Halen, but he continued to have his own thing with tour on his own. So I think there was just a little bit more of a gentleman's agreement between these guys. And it was more of a, a partnership of businesses than than a lot of other mergers like this. I don't think they forced anything here. You know, I think they got together and wrote songs and, you know, they ended up, you know, doing some, some melodic things. I would say this is definitely one of the bigger success stories yeah. when it comes to this sort of thing, especially album sales, keeping your base and building new audience as well. So, uh, yeah, this particular replacement, I think, worked out really well for everyone involved. And then both singers, uh, Roth and Hagar, have been in and out of the band doing tours and things like that up until uh, Van Halen's passing in 2020, Eddie Van Halen. So I think it's officially over, but uh, they had a really good run with two great front men uh, that brought different things and uh, satisfied those fans. So yeah, that is Van Halen 5150 from 1986. Go check it out or go back and check it out again. All right, so new lead singers. Pretty clear what that means. Did we learn anything? 
please share? Well, I mean, I guess it helps to bring in an established brand. If you can merge two uh, fan bases, it's probably a lot more likely to be successful, as we learned with uh, Van Halen there. Yeah, unfortunate that the Echo Buddyman record wasn't better received. I feel like that maybe didn't wasn't so much in line with the earlier stuff, but man, it's a cool record, and I don't think it deserves the the lack of praise that it's gotten. We we officially couldn't choose things like that if it was a different name, and if they had started over with a different name, it wouldn't have been a new lead singer. <laughs> true. Yeah. Same with Audio Slave, which was Rage Against the Machine with a new That's singer. True. You know. Huh. I think in that case, it probably would have made sense to just to do that. With Kepler Tech, I'll be curious to see how they how they do over the next couple of records here, but it feels like they're going in a good direction, at least from my perspective. So yeah, it's not always a bad thing. It's probably more oftentimes a necessary thing to, to keep the rest of the band going. Yeah, I, um, I'm i still kind of, I mean, looking back at it in hindsight, you know, I, I'm still amazed like how successful the, the Van Halen thing was. I mean, it was probably helped by the fact that, well, I'm sure, you know, the record label, I'm sure put a lot of energy into it. And the, I mean, the band was kind of at like a, a peak, you know, I mean, they were, they were, they were in their prime. So I don't know, just, uh, I think it was, you know, maybe it was even just dumb luck too, that they had the right chemistry with, with Sammy. But, you know, a lot of people I, I talked to that are, you know, like your really hardcore Van Halen fans, they, they prefer the, the Van Hagar version. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I think what I learned, I hadn't really thought about, you know, you think about bands changing their lineups. And that's kind of what I equated this topic with at first. I didn't really, I didn't think about previously how much different it is to replace a lead singer than a, a guitarist, even if it's a well-known guitarist. Like the singer makes, that's a much harder proposition to pull off. Like the face of the band, you know, you can't just, can't think of them without the thinking of the lead singer. And a lot of times it was er, like the bands I looked at, it was early in their careers that before they hit it big that they had changed singers. Midstream, when you're at your height and to replace your singer, that's tough. It's a much more challenging thing than I had really considered until we dug into these records. The other night uh, when I couldn't sleep, I was I started thinking about like interchanging singers. So I'm like, what if you replace Bono with <laughs> like the guy from the Gin Blossoms or something? Like just how, <laughs> how much... <laughs> <laughs> what a shock that would be. <laughs> that would be a good like AI experiment, I feel like. Yeah. We could get some bots on that. Be curious to hear that. <laughs> and that's one to grow on. I'm your density. I mean your destiny. All right, boys and girls, children of all ages, gather around. It's time yet again to see what destiny has in store for us. This week, you will look to the heavens in search of the voice of an angel. Your musical destiny is to explore albums by extremely talented vocalists. Voice of an angel. Ooh. I don't know what that means. But. So we're looking for incredible vocalists, great vocal talent. Could go with obvious choices like Whitney Houston or Josh Groban uh, or something off the beaten path like, say, Ronnie James Dio, who has an incredible singing voice, but, you know, has a reputation. He's an angel and a devil. Yes, he was. Heaven and hell. Yes. <laughs> so it's all about the singers. All right. That should be a pretty... Uh... Pretty easy one. Cool. 
What's your favorite voice of an angel? What else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. Splid. Is that right? <laughs> yes. Anyway. <laughs> You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Album Nerds. Also, please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support. Thank you once again for joining us on the Album Nerds podcast. We'll catch you next time with some incredible vocals. Thanks for listening, everybody. See ya. Can't believe we didn't mention Steel Dragon. I know. <laughs> Stand up and shout. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I, I was gonna try and, and then give it a rip. <laughs> gotta catch my rip. <laughs> Stand up and shout. Nope. John just gave himself a hernia. <laughs> uh, it's more the David Lee Roth version, I think. Okay. <laughs>